0: Welcome to the Christine Means Business Podcast. My name is Christine Hansen and I'm a business consultant helping entrepreneurs to scale their business without working more through wonderful team management, leadership and strategy. Together with fellow experts or my own, this podcast is designed to share the most actionable tips, pieces of wisdom and anecdotes that will help you to avoid any mistakes that will cost you time or money to grow your business. It is my absolute joy to share that knowledge with you to help you for your ultimate success. You will get a new episode every two weeks and there's loads of free materials on my website, christinemeansbusiness.com. So go ahead and check that out and I'm looking forward to hear your feedback. And please don't forget to give us a couple of stars if you enjoy what you've been hearing on your podcasting platforms. And without further ado, let's start the show. Hello, and welcome to this wonderful brand new episode of Christine Means Podcast. No, she doesn't. Christine Means Business. (laughs) Welcome. I'm Christine, your hostess with the mostest. I do mean but podcast too, but in general, I do mean business. So I'm absolutely thrilled to have you back for a brand new episode. And as you know, I always try to get you guys the most wisdom possible. And I do have one magnificent brain, but I do always have a guest with me so that we can deliver even more knowledge and wisdom and smarts to you guys. And so today, I'm absolutely thrilled to introduce you to Wayne Mullins. And we're going to talk about something that I know can be a scary topic sometimes. And it can also be something that we, as a solopreneur, most of the time, we don't really know a lot about. So I'm really, really thrilled to have Wayne here because he's worked with a lot, a lot of different companies to give us insight on scaling. And we had other episodes on Scaling before, and I love that everyone has a different approach to this. So I'm really excited to pick Wayne's brain on this. Now, Wayne himself, he's a husband, a father of four, a founder, a CEO, an entrepreneur, and an author. And over the past 20 years, he has scaled multiple companies and helped hundreds of entrepreneurs do the same with their companies. He influences more than 250,000 entrepreneurs annually through his blog, books, training programs, and he has personally worked with clients in over 100 industries from every corner of the globe. Now, If that isn't experience, then I don't know what is. Wayne, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Christine. I'm excited for this chat today.
0: Yeah, me too, me too. So let's get started a little bit into how your journey happened. I mean, scaling is literally having something small and making it bigger. So obviously you didn't start off with a huge company, And I would love to know from you, how did you get into this specifically, supporting others in scaling? And also, what does scaling actually mean to you? Because I think we probably have different definitions, different ideas, what scaling actually looks like. So I would love for you to paint a picture maybe of different styles of scaling that you have seen in your career.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so my entrepreneurial journey um, probably began when I was young. I always had this tendency for business, for making money. Um, you know, so from a young age, doing things like uh, paying my my friends with birthday cards, really, getting them, yeah, getting them to help cut yards and things like that for money. Um, so it started very early for me. But you know, in in school, in university, I was uh, my junior year. My parents gave me some CDs from this gentleman of the name Zig Ziglar, Mm -hmm. Um, some people watching the listing may be familiar with him. Um, at one point he was probably the most well-known sales and motivational speaker in the world. And Zig kind of sold me on the profession of selling. He convinced me through those CDs that selling was the best path for me. So that is what I did. I graduated, um, and I got a job in sales and to be honest with you, Christine, I was absolutely horrific at the beginning of that process. <laughs> well, I have right? to say,
0: Zig Ziglar, his job is selling, whether you are good at it or not, his job was just to sell you on the idea of being a good salesman. So he succeeded, obviously. <laughs>
1: he, he, he did succeed. And you know, over time, as with so many things in our lives, over time, with determination, with grit, um, with the desire to learn more and grow I stuck with it. And over the course of about a three-year period, I went from horrific to actually really good at this thing. Um, you know, it, it's it's the old, you know, you get up every day, you go knock on the doors, you get the door slammed in your face, mm. um, but you learn from each of those experiences. And, you know, I, I would say for me that the failures in that experience, the failures in my other business experiences and, and life have taught me far more than the successes have. Mm. Um, and so from a very early age, I've attempted to remember that rule. Yeah. That, you know, w- when a failure is in front of me, when I'm, you know, down or depressed, or like, why has this happened to me? Is the kind of the story that default, I think we often go to, like, why me? Why can't I get a break? Um, I try to remind myself of a question that I didn't know the exact wording at the time, but the question mm. is this, what does this now make possible? Yeah. So what is this situation? What does this failure now make possible for me? And for me, that was kind of that mental process kind of steered indirectly my entire entrepreneurial journey.
0: Yeah. Cause I imagine, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but from everything I've heard being excited. It's- fairly cutthroat. Like you have some very clear KPIs on what you should be delivering. So having a number that you should bring in. And so I can imagine if you don't hit that, it's, it's super stressful or not. Yeah.
1: I mean, your, your job depends on it often. And certainly the bulk of your pay depends on your ability to actually sell. (laughs) And so, yeah, it, it was, you know, for me though, I look back, um, and, there were so many trials. There were so many failures in that process, but I look back and I'm just so thankful that I stuck with it, that I didn't quit when it was extremely difficult. When I was extremely terrible, that I stayed the course.
0: What made you stick with it?
1: I, I, I'm going to blame it on Zig Ziglar, I guess. Really? <laughs> at the time I was still listening to a lot of his, back then it was CDs, right? Yeah. I was listening to a lot of his CDs um, and studying this craft of selling, he used to talk about this thing called Automobile University, which is he believed that anytime you were in your vehicle going anywhere, you should be filling your head with positive, with educational things. And that we could turn, you know, in most in most places, depending on where you live, you know, you're going to spend somewhere between probably 30 minutes and an hour a day in your vehicle, some places more. And his argument was why not make that time productive time. Why not fill your head with good things? So he kind of, you know, not only sold me on the profession of selling, but he really sold me on this idea of if you want to call it self-development or uh-huh. continual improvement. That's that was uh what caused me to stick with it, even though all the evidence around me said that this wasn't the thing for me.
0: I I find that fascinating. Now whenever I talk to someone, it's very rare that they went from A to Z directly let's put it if we have a linear they have a linear journey you know there's always something and for you obviously as well you started with selling not necessarily well you were semi-entrepreneur you know because you had to sell but obviously you were selling for in the structure of someone else how what did your journey then look like to go from sales being your main profession to becoming a completely independent entrepreneur where you scaled, I suppose, your own company and then gave your knowledge then to others. How did that happen?
1: Sure. So for me, what that process or what that journey looked like um, was I, I got good at this thing called selling over the course of about a three-year period. I began looking at my paycheck and then mm-hmm. I began looking at my sales report and the number of my sales report was this massive number. Hmm. Right? And it's like, huh, You know, these numbers, there's a big gap in these numbers. And this dangerous thought popped in my head, Christine, it was this wonder if I went and sold something for myself, you know, could I keep more of this money? So it's just like entrepreneurial kind of idea in the back of the head. Um, So at the time I decided I was going to sit down and figure out like, what can I sell? What could I sell for myself? And the only other skill I had at that point was cutting grass you know, cutting lawns, maintaining lawns. And that was it. So I'm like, this is the thing I'm going to do. I'm going to walk away from this corporate sales job. You know, it was a Monday through Friday, all the benefits. Um, By that point, it was, you know, pretty much low stress because I was good. I had, you know, recurring sales coming in all this. And I decided to start a lawn and landscape company. Um, And, you know, I, I walked away from the security of that And at the time, I remember specifically having a lot of conversations with, you know, parents, with friends, and they assumed that I was taking this massive risk, right? So I'm walking away from this guaranteed thing into this unknown. And I I never viewed it that way. It wouldn't be until years later that, you know, (laughs) this idea of the difference between risk and recklessness. Yes. um, And there's a big difference in those two things. I believe that taking risk is often a very good thing, especially when it's a calculated risk. Uh-huh. Recklessness on the other hand is throwing caution to the wind, it's total abandonment. It's you know, no plan, no, th- no thinking things through, it's living a completely different way. Um, one analogy that I love to, to share with others is this, when we're faced with those decisions in our lives or even in our businesses, you have to ask yourself, is this a revolving door or is this a one-way door? Mm. So what that means is if I had walked away from that corporate sales job, I viewed that as it's a revolving door. In other words, I could have gone back. Maybe the company wouldn't have hired me back, but I could have gotten a job in sales somewhere. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Now, some decisions that we look at, they may be a one-way door. In other words, if I go through this door, getting back to the way things were is going to be extremely difficult, extremely challenging, Mm -hmm. like the odds are stacked against you. And in those cases, it requires a different thought process.
0: I agree. I absolutely agree. So you started this business with grass, which I find is hilarious (laughs) hilarious <laughs> and I imagine it was a success because obviously you scaled it and I asked you this question before what is the scaling I think it would be interesting to hear like we obviously have a dictionary definition but I know that in entrepreneurship scaling can look a whole lot different ways so what did your scaling look like but also what kind of other models have you seen
1: Sure. So you are correct. The business became successful, um, over the course of a three-year period, went from startup to actually me selling the company, um, mm-hmm. I listed it with a business broker and, you know, I was kind of just testing the waters and within mm-hmm. a couple of weeks, they had brought some buyers to me. Um, so scaling to me, uh, the difference between scaling and growth is this growth. I envision it as, um, you're pushing a rock uphill. Right? Yeah. So, your growth is occurring, but it's this constant effort that is required to get you the growth that's you, know, you want or you're after. Scaling, on the other hand, happens on the downhill, meaning it happens as a consequence of the uh-huh. systems, the processes, and the procedures, the people that you have in place. So the difference to me mentally is that um, will the business continue thriving and growing? when you are removed from that piece yeah when you have your business organized in such a way that growth continues because of all those other elements besides your constant effort and push that's the difference between growth and scale at least in my in my mind
0: i absolutely Love this. I've done this podcast for a while and I had podcasts before. And I have to say, this is one of the major light bulb moments that I've had. Specifically, if you guys are listening, we had an episode, I couldn't tell you which one it was exactly. It was a while back with someone who is doing evaluations. So he evaluated the Brooklyn Bridge, for example, like really weird stuff. But it's his main job is to like VC Capital, like to evaluate companies as well. And we were talking about what makes something valuable in terms of investment and it was very similar in terms of that your business first of all needs to be able to run without you which I absolutely agree on and you need to build it in a way that it's effortless for you but that you can have bigger momentum and I love this idea of growth being this uphill kind of a reversed avalanche you know where you have to push it and when it grows bigger and it's more and more effort because it's something that I see a lot with entrepreneurs actually, you know, and they have then this big business, but it's it's not a happy business versus something that, yes, it it is bigger, but it's automatic in a way that you described it. So I absolutely, huge light bulb moment, love it. So you made it your profession and mission now to support people, I suppose to avoid the growth kind of track let's put it that way and to get ready prepare or I would probably say ameliorate or make it better on scaling so when do you usually jump in in that process when do people reach out to someone like you where they are like okay is that at the very beginning when they just have an idea it's people who are a complete mess how and and what do you do
1: Sure. So the the vantage point where I get brought in typically, you know, our primary business now is marketing. That's what we do. We do marketing related things. Um, But over the course of doing these quote unquote marketing things, what I came to realize is that, you know, when a business isn't growing or scaling or whatever the terminology, often they look to sales or marketing as the cause of that thing. And what I observed is that rarely is that the actual issue. Um, So they come to us, you know, because they need more followers or they need more traffic or they need more, you know, all these things. And and what what we discovered over time is that, yes, those are probably true. But just because we send you more traffic or just because your phone rings more doesn't fix the fact that there's chaos (laughs) in everything that you do. Um, It doesn't fit fix the fact that you're not profitable. It doesn't fix the fact, you know, one of my, one of my favorite is that uh, people come to us and and their, you know, their product or their service is unprofitable. They're really not making anything on it, but they somehow believe that if they just scale it up, you know, sell more of it, do more of it, that magically is going to fix the problem. Um, the margin doesn't change. It stays the same. Yes. You might get more unless you're doing you know, obviously like commodity-based things where volume is the thing. Sure, but For where you're- entre-
0: Exactly, anything where your time is in there or your resources, that, that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: The other thing that I often, so the, the answer to your question is I get brought in at various stages. We work with startups. We work with, you know, very large, successful, publicly traded companies. Um, and, and so it's, but the the, the problems are the same, mm-hmm. right? They just manifest in different ways, depending mm-hmm. on the size of the organization. One of the most common ones that I see across the board, regardless of, you know, if it's solopreneur starting or it's a major you know, corporation is what I call the artisan trap. So the artisan trap is this, let's say that you're an artist and you do paintings mm-hmm. and that's your business. Well, the artisan trap says this, okay, you go out and you try to get somebody to buy something And they come to you and they're finally like, yes, I would love for you to do a commission piece for me. So you now go spend the next two or three months doing the piece, creating the piece for them. And in that entire time, you're not selling anything. You're not out there actively Mm -hmm. selling. And so you're busy fulfilling, which is great because you've got the money coming in, or you're going to have the money coming in from this piece. You deliver the thing, the piece of art. And then you look around and you're like, there's no, there's no other money. Like
0: exactly. so
1: I run back out and I go spend the next three months trying to sell, trying to find somebody to, to buy my thing. And so it's this never ending cycle, this never ending loop that entrepreneurs end up in where we focus on selling because we have, we need revenue. And then we focus on delivering because we just sold the thing. And until we learn to break free from that artisan trap, from that repetitive circle, we can never scale our companies. We are the thing that is holding the growth. It's holding our business back. It's holding our potential back. And it's in so many ways, it's actually, we're killing our own dreams. Agreed. Because we all come into this with dreams, right? We don't pursue this entrepreneurial path if there's not some dream or purpose that we're we're pursuing.
0: Agreed. And then I call it the, the feast and famine circle because in the coaching world specifically, That's what we come across a lot, or at least it was like this trendy kind of phrase, but that is exactly what it is. You know, you focus all your energy on client acquisition, you have one and you drop everything and then your business, you just put on the brakes again, basically. So there's no, the momentum that you gathered is being lost again. And it's what I'm always telling my clients, any success is built on momentum. If you don't keep that momentum going, there's no way that it will grow. And don't forget that when you stop, it will go, it will shrink again. So what can we do then to avoid that? How can we get out of that cycle, so to say?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you, depending on the level of your business, kind of where you are with your business, um, the number one thing is you have to look in one of those two areas to replace yourself. Mm-hmm. So whether that's on the selling side or that's on the fulfillment side, you have to create space. Yeah. Right. Especially if you're going to build a business, build an organization that isn't, you know, completely sucking every waking minute of your life, you have to create that space. And what I believe to be true is some people are more naturally inclined to the sales or the marketing side, right. As yeah. entrepreneurs, others are way more interested in the fulfillment side of things. So there's not a right or wrong. It's not like you have to do this one or you have to do this, you know, the other, um, ask yourself, like, if I could only do one of these two things, which would I do? And then find some way, and there's so many resources now, that you can use to buy space, to buy margin, to buy time in your life, to help with the fulfillment or to help with the sales of those things. Um, You know, I I think so often, we overcomplicate things, right? (laughs) You know, at the end of the day, it's really just cause and effect we're putting these inputs in, we're getting these outcomes out. If we're unhappy with the outputs, let's not complain about the outputs. Let's not sit here and you know dissect the output. Let's go back and look at the input. What input did we put in that produced this specific out, output for us?
0: I absolutely love this. Absolutely. So what are some of your favorites? Maybe I know you, it's a difficult question because your obviously your portfolio is so diverse, but thinking about creative entrepreneurs, small businesses and coaches, which is what who I'm talking to mostly, what are some of the, I don't know if replacements is the right word, but it kind of is, you know, as you replace something with you or you take yourself out and replace yourself with something, what are some things that you've seen experience that have been great for smaller companies that they might not think of immediately? Something that was maybe a surprise to clients of yours where you realized whenever you suggested it, they were like, oh, I never thought of that.
1: Sure. I'll give you one very specific, which is slightly off the question, but it's on the question. Um, (laughs) So not too long ago, someone came to us, very small business owner, and they make Kind of handcrafted soaps, handcrafted Mm -hmm. lotions, all organic, um, remarkable quality stuff. And they have a really strong following. Um, But this particular entrepreneur's passion is developing these products, right? Coming Uh up with the new lotion or the new bar of soap or the new thing. And so we sat down and and they were completely overwhelmed, couldn't keep up. um, And they felt like their little bit of marketing budget they had just couldn't do justice to the amount of products that they had. So we said let's step one let's let's use the Pareto principle 80 20 which 20% of your products are producing 80% of the revenue, 80% of the profit. And we started with that so we said okay, you know, right now you have 30 different product lines. Let's I'm not saying you have to get rid of them all, but let's only devote our time and attention for a period to these, to your top 20% that are producing. So that's one thing that I think anybody can do. You you look at where the revenue is coming from, where the profit is coming from, and you focus just on those. I'll get rid of the other stuff for a while. I'm not saying you have to give it up. And that's the conversation we had with this entrepreneur. Like, I'm not asking you to give up your dream, no. but you're in a space, you're in a season, right? Where you're gonna have to sacrifice something. Is it gonna be your health? Is it going to be your family? Like, what's it going to be in trying to make the case, you know, plead with them to make the decision. Let's cut these products for a while. You know, let's, let's not divide our attention there.
0: I love it. I absolutely love it. And it's, this is a little bit off a tangent, but it's so interesting. I had a conversation with, and it's really not to advertise towards Meta or Facebook or however you want to call them. I had a talk with one of their, um, what do you call it? They're advisors, I guess. They're sales ad advisors because you can book them for free, so they give you advice on how to run your ads. So they go with you. And I actually like that because I like to toy around with it without losing or you know throwing money on the wall. And they have this beautiful new feature which is dynamic content. You know, and it's basically what you were saying. You you feed ten pieces of content, ten pieces of text, you know, different graphics, and then the algorithm figures out for you which ones are performing well, and it automatically then shows you these ones went better so we show them to more people and this one just never performed so we kind of started to not show it to as many so it's the same kind of philosophy in terms of it might still be cute might still be good but if it's in the end costing you money versus giving you revenue you can still love it dearly you can still keep it you can still have it but don't focus your effort on it and I know that's where a lot of a lot of the brain goes out of the window very often, especially if it's a passion project, you know, and it's just really hard to let go. But in the end, you know, I mean, we're all running a business, which is which is so fascinating as well. And you're completely right that no matter how big your company is, there's always some things I feel where people aren't objective, where it's just like, but I love this, but it's my favorite. And so I think it's really healthy to have someone come in then and just have an objective analytical view and say, it's not making you money, you would not be able to sell even a little bit of this one if you're broke or if you're burned out or if your business goes to slithereens, basically. Yeah,
1: that, that's exactly it. And the conversation came to that. It's like, I know you love all of these things. They're all your babies, if you will. Yeah. But if you don't get to where you're trying to get to with your company, none of it's going to matter, right? You're, you're going to be burned out, your health, your family, like all these other consequences are going to come because you're unwilling, and I'm not saying that this person was, but if you're unwilling to give up something. So it's about compromise, Um, you know? And I I think that for us as entrepreneurs, we come into this with blinders on, right? So like our racehorse has the blinders on the side of their eyes to keep them from looking around. We can only see what our stories allow us to see. So the stories we tell ourselves, And for some, I've certainly been there for some, we believe that we just can't let go of that thing because it's true to who we are or it's Mm -hmm. true, but you have to ask yourself, like you just said, like, you know, am I willing to give up up this thing in the short term for the long-term benefit?
0: Totally. And now I'm very curious and I'm going to ask you a personal question because in your bio, obviously, and I told everyone you're a father of four. You're very good at sales. You also manage people to convince that they need to compromise. Do you use that skill when negotiating with your kids?
1: (laughs) You know, it's so, it's so interesting. Um, So my (laughs) kids, they, they range in age from our youngest little girl. She's eight and our (laughs) oldest just turned 15. So we have three boys and a girl. And what's so fascinating is, I mean, everyone who's got kids or close family around you all the time just the diversity in personalities and the way that, that they think and the way they process and the way that they respond to instruction and things like that. Um, you know, I would say that I do, I would say that, you know, my oldest, he's very good at using attempting to use cells and negotiation in his, uh, you know, so if he does something he's not supposed to do, he, he loves to negotiate his, what his consequences of that thing will be. Um, so yeah, he 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 challenges me in my negotiation skills.
0: Wonderful. I absolutely love it. Cause I had to ask that question, because it's all the skills as a parent that you kind of have to develop (laughs) so I was like hang on we have especially the word compromising is like (laughs) kind of living on that word right now with my eight-year-old so I'm like okay I'm gonna ask this guy (laughs) (laughs) wonderful so I'm intrigued and because oh that's my second question and I haven't told people because it hasn't come up yet but we're obviously going to have all your links and it's hilarious. I have to talk about this. So you guys, you know that we have all the links on christinemeansbusiness.com forward slash blog. So you just click on this episode and you have the show notes and you can, can click on everything I'm just, I'm going to tell you right now, because your social media handles on Facebook and Instagram, are ugly mug marketing, and your LinkedIn one is fire yourself. So what is the story behind those, those handles? Sure.
1: So Ugly Mug Marketing is our is the name of the company, our business. Um, that name actually comes from a quote by this gentleman of the name, David Ogilvy. So David Ogilvy, he's famous for building an ad agency. Ogilvy and Mather, they were the largest in the world for about, uh, I think about a 10, 12 year period. They're still in the top 10 massive agency. But he had this quote inside his offices that was, I would rather an ad that's ugly, but effective than Mm -hmm. one that's beautiful, but isn't. Yes. And so for us that the name itself, our name is a constant reminder that we should be focused on the most important thing first, which is results for our clients, not trying to win design awards, not trying to do creative things for the sake of creative things. Um, so that's where the name ugly mug marketing, um, Ugly marketing just didn't sound quite as. I good love as,
0: ugly uh, marketing. It's what yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then fire yourself is is kind of my um, I guess you'd say my personal. So my you know my personal Facebook page, my personal Instagram, um, fire yourself. You know I have this this belief um, that all too often our past we give our past too much power. Mm. And we give our future too much power over the present. And so fire yourself for me is just this constant reminder that the stories that I'm bringing along with me from the past, yeah. um, that sometimes I need to let those things go. Okay. Yes, I need to learn from them. Yes, I need to you know, not be foolish about the things that have happened, obviously. But I need to let those stories go. I don't need to just assume everything that I think in my head is fact. And the same applies for the future, right? We live in a very uncertain world right now. There's just so much going on in the world. In social media, for all its pros, there are some cons, which in an instant, we can see what's taking place around the world 24 Mm seven. And the stories that we can sometimes allow ourselves to, to think in our heads about the future can undermine our ability to be present in the moment. So that's where that comes from.
0: Love it. I think wonderfully described and easy to remember for everyone out there. And that's my beautiful, smooth tangent here. For people who want to check out your agency, you can head over to uglymarkmarketing.com. And reach out to Wayne and his team, because if I understand correctly, you have all types of companies that you work with, correct, from big to small. And so people can just reach out to you and maybe say, hey, <laughs> I'm having exactly this problem. I'm not growing. I have an inkling that it's not just my marketing. Um, so they, I assume they can just reach out to you there.
1: Absolutely. Yep. Love to talk with them.
0: Wonderful. Wayne, it has been delightful as it totally like I love this conversation. It's been really powerful. So thank you so much for sharing like all your wisdom with us here over this half an hour.
1: And Thank you, Christine. And thank you so much for doing what you do because the world needs to hear the message that you're putting out there. So thank you.
0: Thank you. And I agree. We can serve so many. So I'm really proud of this. Wonderful everyone listening don't forget that if you enjoyed this please leave us a review make sure you surf over to Wayne's links they are in the show notes if you're watching on YouTube hey don't forget to like and to subscribe and if you're on any platform uh, listening to a podcast version make sure you hit that follow button as well we will be back in two weeks time with a new guest it's an absolute honor to have you and I appreciate you taking the time to listen Have a wonderful time and talk to you very soon. Bye-bye for now. All right. And here is what I usually forget at the end of every episode. So first off, thank you so much for listening and taking the time to tune in. We really, really, really appreciate it. Now don't forget that I've written a book with everything you need to know about growing and building a business online. It's called We Mean Business, The Practical Guide for Creative Entrepreneurs, Coaches and Small Businesses to Build Your Brand and Grow Your Business. Online. You can find it on Amazon, but also in other online bookstores and on my website. Also, please make sure that if you want to stalk me, you follow me on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube, or Twitter, or Pinterest, or TikTok. And if there was anything in this episode that you learned, that you found entertaining, that made you giggle, then I would be over the moon if you'd left us a five-star rating. These ratings go a long way for more people to tune in and make sure that you follow the podcast as well to share the love and to have more people find it. Thank you so much and we'll see you in two weeks time for a new episode.